We're starting like a mini-series, like a series within a series, yeah? So it's a two-part mini-series called The 100-Year Vision. And um, over the next two weeks, we want to kind of, I want to try and unpack something that I think is really important in the Ezra-Nehemiah narrative. Um, and uh, so, so this week we're going to look at something, and then next week we're actually going to do a couple different things next week, but part of it is just looking at the importance of the church and church planting in the kind of renewal process, the rebuilding process. Um, but this week, we're going to look at something else in terms of the 100-year vision. But can I pray? And then we'll get into it. Lord, I just want to invite you to come and be here with us, our hearts and our, our minds and our imaginations, Lord, just to, um, just to see what you're doing, Lord. I think uh, it feels like today to live in Durban, we need prophetic imagination uh, to, to believe in what you are doing and are at work in. And so I pray, Lord, that even this morning you would come and stir us and, and awaken our hearts uh, to change and transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one simple verse that if you've been in church for a while, and I, I know that maybe not everyone's been in church for a while, but if you've been in church for a long period of time, there, there's a chance that you would have heard someone preach on Nehemiah. Um, and as they preach on Nehemiah, they talk about building, rebuilding, it's a classic building uh, book. Anytime someone's doing a building project, they preach on Nehemiah, you know, to encourage everyone and to get people to give some money uh, towards the building project. Um, so it's often a book that's preached in, in that kind of process. And there's one verse that is mentioned a lot that create, that I think creates some confusion as we think about the Ezra and Nehemiah narrative. And it's Nehemiah 6 verse 15, and it says this, it says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul um, in 52 days. And uh, I mean, this, this is a remarkable part of the story, that when you read um, Nehemiah and you hear that the, the wall was built in 52 days, I mean, it's, it's a miracle. A miracle in some sense. So the, the whole wall around Jerusalem, the whole of Jerusalem gets rebuilt. It gets rebuilt really, really fast. Uh, and this is the encouraging part of the story. Like we love this part. Like when we think of rebuilding, when we think of uh, rebuilding anything, whether it's walls or you know, starting a building project for the church or our lives or society or anything that needs to be rebuilt, and you read this verse, this is the part that you want to be encouraged by, because you're like, 52 days, that's not even two months. Like, that is like, wow. I don't even know if anyone started fixing our roads around our house after the floods in 52 days, you know? And these guys built the whole world. Like, you think about this, it's super encouraging, um, and, and you want to be encouraged by it, but 
then probably you get discouraged because in your own life, as you hope for change, it just doesn't seem to come as rapidly as 52 days. When you want to see something rebuilt, it just doesn't seem to come as rapidly as that. And so kind of the idea that I want to talk about today is this idea of pace. Um, uh, Yeah, interesting term, pace. Um, But I want to talk about this idea of pace because I think at some point we can't get past talking about Ezra and Nehemiah without thinking about pace or asking uh, the question, just how long does change take? Just how long does change take? Pace, the, the, the rate of change, or you know, when you think of pace, often I think of like runners, and I'm always amazed at the winners of the comrades and the pace that they run, because the pace that they run 90Ks, I can't even run at the same pace 1K, so it like blows my mind when I, when I think of that. Or, or sprinters, or, and you think of pace, you think of the speed at which something is going. Um, and at some point, while we're thinking about Israel and Nehemiah, we have to think and ask the question about the speed of change. Because I think in the rebuilding process, this idea of the speed of change, the, the pace of change, how fast it takes something to change, how fast it took the Israelites to rebuild their culture, their city, uh, to rebuild the temple, etc. Pace is such an important topic in, in this uh, narrative. And pace, I mean, pace is an important topic in everywhere. I don't know if you've uh, noticed how politicians get up and talk about the rate of transformation, and politicians always talking about how society is not transforming fast enough. Uh, or sport, like you hear that in sport often. The Tokyo, uh, I know if you follow cricket at all, the uh, Cricket South Africa went through that whole kind of um, intervention and series of, of meetings to talk about the rate of transformation and transformation within Cricket South Africa. So it's a question of pace. It's a question of like, how fast is this going to go? Um, in business, uh, I think uh, anyone who's kind of been in business or run their own business or involved in, in the development of business, uh, in some sense, pace is such an important thing. You, uh, my brother and I started a business, and when you start a business, you kind of hope that you're going to open the doors and it's going to grow, and by the end of the year, you make a profit, and like you're crushing it. Like That's what you hope. You envision that the pace of this thing is just going to be really fast, and then like two and a half years in, and you haven't made a profit, and you know, you're growing, and you're wondering whether this thing's going anywhere, it starts to, you, you, you have to rethink pace or career. Don't know if anyone's uh, felt, felt like this. You went to study at varsity, you got your degree, or, or did some kind of training, and all of a sudden you're like, when I'm 25, this is where I'm going to be at in my life. And you got to 25, and you're like, here. Um, and how discouraging that, 
that can be. It's like my life, my development, my career path is just not progressing as fast as I had hoped for. Um, or, uh, you know, you get to all these different life crises, the quarter-life crisis, they call it, um, a quarter-life crisis. You, you're there in the quarter of your life. You hope that you would have a measure of success. You've got none of it, and you're like, wow, this is discouraging, or midlife, or et cetera, et cetera. Like, how fast or how long, at what pace is this going to take? Personal developments. Um, probably in our own lives, we have some, own, some goals of where we imagined we would be by this age. Um, and, uh, um, and, you know, some of us may feel like we're rapidly progressing there. Some of us may feel like we're just nowhere near there yet. Um, uh, the, our personal development is just not where we think it should be, or even our spiritual life. Um, I, I imagine for some of us, we, we imagine that uh, by a certain age or whatever, or we imagine just where we are right now, that we'd be on fire for God, we'd love Jesus, we'd, you know, we'd be like living our best spiritual lives. You woke up this morning thinking, am I even gonna read the Bible today or this week or this month? Um, and, and it's, you know, sometimes what happens is pace, uh, this rate of pace, this rate of change in all different kind of spheres of life and society uh, can either be encouraging or discouraging. Uh, it's in the hair. Uh, you know the story of the tortoise and the hare, where... Uh, the hare runs out fast, falls asleep, ends up losing the race to the tortoise. It's a, it's a story of pace in some sense, and it's a story that we tell to our kids to encourage them when life just doesn't seem to be going as fast as it should be. It's amazing that we've uh, got a story to try and encourage our kids from a young age about the fact that the pace of life is probably going to discourage us. I, I don't know if you've noticed that, but... I think this is one of the things that I find crazy is life seems to get busier as you get older, but progress seems to be slower. It's like one of those tensions we live in, like life just seems to get busier. You're doing so much stuff all the time and you feel like in all you're doing, you should be moving forward. But then you look at your life, you're like, I am like creaking forward at best and yet my life feels so chaotic. Um, and pace, the this, this speed of our own personal development or the speed of our spiritual development or our professional development, the, the speed at which we sing change in our neighborhood or in our city or in our country, the speed is often a great source of discontentment or discouragement. If you've noticed that, how often we can get discontent with our lives or discouraged with our lives because of this very thing, uh, progressing. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, uh, The Outliers, uh, talks about this, um, he calls it the, the immutable law of Canadian ice hockey. And, uh, 
and, and he calls it the 40, 30, 20, 10 principle. And this is, is that the chances are that if you're born, like 40% of all professional ice hockey players will be born in the months of January to March, and then 30 in April to June, and then 20% from July to September, and 10% from October to December. And he says the reason why most professional, 70% of all professional ice hockey players are born in the first half of the year is because when the first proper teams are chosen at the age of nine, the, the kids born in the first half of the year have a six month to a year advantage in their age group over the kids born in the second half of the year. And he says that doesn't mean that the second half year kids don't have talent, it's just that they become so discouraged at their pace at which they are progressing in the system. The professional players, all of the older players, um, and he says, it's like, if you want to talk about privilege in some areas of society, at some point you've got to talk about age privilege and how people who are born in that segment in professional sports just have an advantage over people who are born nine months later. Um, but people get discouraged at the pace at which they're progressing, and so they just stop. They give up. I don't know if you've ever given up anything, any hobby that you've tried, any avenue of growth that you've tried to work on, any professional kind of thing that you've focused on, because your pace of progress is too slow, so you've been discouraged. Of, about the Ezra and Nehemiah story. The thing that's really encouraged me about the Ezra and Nehemiah story is that if you just think of the wall, you think that the story of transformation is a rapid story of change. 52 days, it's a miracle. Like, it's so fast. Like, can society, can uh, such an important aspect of, of that city be changed in 52 days, you're like, surely areas in our lives should take quicker to change. Nehemiah's story, and the reason why I titled this mini-series The 100-Year Vision, is that it took 100 years to get to the point of the wall being completed. So in Ezra chapter one, when Zerubbabel and, and uh, the first group of people leave Babylon, and they come to build the temple, it was almost exactly a 100 years before the walls were built. Nehemiah comes on the scene like 99 years after Zerubbabel. Ezra comes on the scene 84 years after Zerubbabel. The process of society getting to the place of being able to build a wall in 52 days took 100 years. It took three generations. It took people doing a lot of different things at a lot of different times to get to a point where Ezra can come into a society and get the people to work together to build a wall in 52 days. The pace of 52 days is really deceptive if you don't put it in the perspective of the fact that it took 100 years of them rebuilding to get to that 
point. And sometimes, I mean, I ask myself this. Am I prepared to build towards something that I won't see the end of in my lifetime? Catholic cathedrals in in Europe, where the process of building them was going to take so long, worked on the project, wouldn't even see the end of it until... They just wouldn't see the end of it because it took so long. One cathedral in uh, Europe took 400 years to build. I am challenged by, in the Ezra Nehemiah narrative, is how slow, in time, being encouraged by that, that the rate of transformation, that the rate of change, the rate of rebuilding, is a multi-generational process. Zerubbabel arrives 100 years before Nehemiah of rebuilding a society so that by the time Nehemiah comes, the society is of sufficient building togetherness that they can build a wall in 52 days. It is, in one sense, reminding ourselves that transformation, rebuilding, renewal takes a long time and that we ourselves are part of a multi-generational project. We're 2,000 years after Jesus, building his kingdom, generations. The project of the church has taken 2,000 years, and we don't know how long it will still take before Jesus returns. So I've just got four quick points. around this, and uh, I think the question is, what can we learn about this, about this slow pro, or this pace, this process of change in uh, Israel and Nehemiah? Point number one, change is a slow process. Change or renewal in Israel and Nehemiah took a hundred years. Change in our own lives, it's a long time. One of the things that encourages me and discourages me when I think of my life is the fact, is knowing that I'm not gonna be perfect by the time that I die. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, you're not gonna be perfect. You're like, I wanna become like you. Like, can it be next year, you know? Um, But I'm encouraged and discouraged by that. I'm encouraged by the fact that this project of change takes a long time. So when I'm frustrated with different areas of my life and they're not changing fast enough, I'm able to just put it in perspective and know that God is at work in my life over my whole life. Discouraged because I just wish that would take faster. I don't know if you've been frustrated at some points in your life where you just wanted some things uh, to, to change really fast and you start working on that area and it just doesn't seem to be changing as fast as you would like. Change is a slow process. C.S. Lewis uh, talks about this and 
his way of putting it in perspective is he, is he says, every day feels like I'm taking one step back. But when I look at my life from a perspective of two years, I've seen I've taken leaps and bounds forward. It's like realizing how change is so slow that if you look at it in the day-to-day process, it just doesn't look like we're going anywhere. But when you, you put your life in perspective of years, you realize how over time, slowly, little by little, uh, we are changing. In the kind of like dieting world, you know, when uh, you're dieting or trying to lose weight, etc., etc., they I mean, they talk about this. They say, like, if you try and lose weight too fast, it becomes unhealthy, and then you just put it all back on. Um, and that if you want to have deliberate change, it takes a long period of slow process, not just your weight instantly, but changing your whole lifestyle. It's a slow change. is a slow process. Point two, change is a multi-generational project. Project. Generations to get to the wall. Three generations rebuilding the city to get to the process of rebuilding the wall. I think one of the things that I've been reminded, even in our personal lives and development, is that change is a multi-generational project process, that for me to want to change some big things, I have to think not just about my own life, but my kids' lives. My, um, but in, in my mom's side of, of the family, her, her brothers, uh, every single person in my mom's side of the family, including my mother, has been divorced, and most of them multiple times. Um, which has then had an impact on my own family, you know, with, uh, not my family, my, my own siblings, with uh, some of my siblings either really considering that process or um, one of my brothers has uh, been divorced. It's like a kind of effect of a, of a lifestyle. And r- realizing for me, myself, to change the future of my kids, I have to fight for my own marriage. That change for my family is a multi-generational thing. One in my own family who has a degree education going even in my own siblings, you know, realizing like fighting seeing my, my kids, seeing me fight to study and uh, as they have seen and, and fight for some of those things is trying to make a change not just for me but a change for them. Healthy societies are built through multiple generations of families building upon families of building upon families. Change is a multi-generational thing. Lisa comes from a really good family, um, so I'm really privileged to be married to Lisa. Um, but I've seen like how families are built upon families are built upon families, um, and how the quality just comes down because change is like this multi-generational 
thing. If we, want to ch if we want to see change, not just in our own lives, but see our kids change, it, it's, it's being able to have a perspective beyond just our own lives. Point number three, change, sometimes change requires intervention, the part that we don't like. If you get to Ezra chapter five, this is one of the things that has encouraged me, is if you get to Ezra chapter five, does the people just stop building the temple? Uh, they just stopped. It was too hard. It was discouraging. You know, people were persecuting them. People were discouraging them. People were telling them that they're losers. Like, they were, they were just going through this process, and they were like, this is way too hard, and they stopped. And then what happens, uh, you would have heard Nick mention this a few weeks ago, but what happens is the prophets come onto the scene. Uh, so you get Haggai and Zechariah start prophesying at that point of the people stop building the temple. And the prophets are quite provoking. They're intervening in the situation. They're calling the people out. They're challenging the people. I mean, Haggai is brutal. When you read Haggai chapter one, it's like really brutal. He says to a group of people that have come to rubble, he says to them, why are you building your houses? You're like, because we've got none. Like, he's, he's treating them. Why are you building your houses when the Lord's house remains in ruin? And you're thinking, like, this is fair. Like, me building my house, like, this is, seems like a very legitimate thing. God's going to understand that. If I get my house built and everything's okay, then I can build the temple. But what the prophets do is they intervene in the process. They challenge them. They're like, you came here to build the temple. The Lord's house is in ruins. Come on, guys. Get moving. Zechariah is doing the same thing, painting a picture of, of the city, encouraging Zerubbabel that he's going to be the person who builds uh, the temple of the Lord. He's encouraging him. He's challenging him. He's actually provoking him to get things moving again. Like, Zerubbabel, what's happening? You've been given this incredible opportunity. You've been given this massive opportunity to rebuild the temple. And what are you doing? You're doing nothing is essentially what is going on. The prophet's intervention, it's, it says, they finish building the temple. The temple gets start, the process starts getting uh, underway again. The temple is being rebuilt again, and they finish it uh, in, in their, their lifetime. And sometimes, change in our own lives requires intervention. In fact, often it requires, if you've noticed this, but often you are quite comfortable in your own life until someone comes along into your life and says something that is quite offensive, but is challenging your own apathy. High school, it was uh, in my matric year, I, uh, I, I knew this one girl from youth that I'd been going to a few years ago, a few years before that, um, I hadn't gone to, to youth in a, a couple years, and then, then just at the start of my matric year, um, I met this girl again, and I was like, oh, remember you from youth, blah, 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 we started chatting, she was like, oh, Jamie, I remember you, you used to make me cry every single Friday night at youth, I was like, what? It's the worst thing I've ever heard, like, 
it, it broke me. And she was like, you were so sarcastic. You, like your words were so cutting. She was like, you would make me cry every Friday night at youth. I don't know what gave her the courage to tell me that, but she told me that. It broke me. Like it absolutely broke me. I was like, there's no way I was like that. I'm a nice person, you know, like I'm cool. People like to be around me. I didn't have any friends, so no one did, obviously. But it was the words of someone intervening in my life that set the course of change in action. For some people, it's being found out, putting you down. For some people, it's a boss calling you out. For some people, it's a friend. But often, change in our life halts someone speaking something, the process underway. And I say that because it's often when someone does come and say something that we react the worst. That we're like, who is this person? Like, who are you? Do you think you're better than me? Like, how could you be saying that to me? You know, like, don't you know, everyone else thinks I'm great, it's just you. Like, the moment someone comes into our lives to bring attention to something, it's like we immediately often try to react, to, to delegitimize what they're saying. Uses people coming into your life with things that you don't want to hear change. Keep going. Slow, it's multi-generational, and sometimes change in our own life requires intervention. Sitting here, and we've had that intervention process, but we just haven't done anything about it. And we've just brushed it off. I think today, the change words, that if you want to move forward, it requires those words being heard. Change is a series of deliberate actions, of deliberate actions. Through Ezra and Nehemiah, read the prophets speaking into it. I think one of the things that becomes clearer and clearer is that what just seems like a story unfolding in its yet work, bringing about the temple, bringing Ezra into bringing the word um, into society, uh, Nehemiah coming along as a, as a governor, as an administrative person to rebuild the wall and rebuild the, the kind of systems of society. What we see is there's like this deliberate process of things that happen for change to take place. And change is often requires a series of deliberate actions. Sometimes just requires us switching off our phones at certain points, turning off social media, turning off notifications. Change in our lives sometimes requires us taking deliberate steps to get to where we need to be. Sometimes that means going and studying ready. I can't tell you how many people I've met with over my kind of 
13, 14 years uh, as a pastor, how many people I've met with who have come to me and said, Jamie, I don't have a job. And I'm like, do you have a CV? No, I don't have a CV. And I'm like, okay, well, step one, get that thing ready. Okay. And then you speak to him like a week later. Have you got your CV ready? No, not yet. Uh, And you ask him a month later, have you got your CV ready? No, not yet. And you're like, change sometimes requires a series of deliberate steps. Get your CV ready, send it out, etc., etc., etc. Change takes deliberate action. Takes us taking steps, deliberately taking steps forward. Be even in your own life, it may be deciding to you want to increase your theological knowledge, starting to read it, putting it down because it's heavy and discouraging, but, and reading bits day after day. I increase my prayer life. I don't pray much. Well, you know, deciding to set an alarm at a time in the day and giving yourself five minutes to pray when that alarm goes off and then building that up to 10 and then building that up to 15 over time. Uh, it's, it's taking deliberate steps. Remember, we had this team from America that came over to a church that I was uh, working at a, a while back and this team came over and one of the, the people that was part of it, it was a marriage therapist, a, a, person, a marriage counselor, and they were involved in marriage counseling. And uh, I was talking to them about just, uh, you know, some of these things change and uh, spontaneity and deliberate action and et cetera, et cetera. And she said this to me, she said, Jamie, you know what's fascinating is that all the studies that they've done in the U.S. around marriage and relationships is the people who set date nights, dates, then the people who say they're only going to have dates spontaneously. I was like, nah, that doesn't seem right. And they're like, no, no, they've done all the steps around so many different habits that the more you deliberately do something, the more you find yourself spontaneously doing it on top of that. And the people who say, I'm just going to do it when I feel like, never feel like doing it. People that deliberately do it are the people that end up doing it because they feel like doing it. Change takes a series of deliberate actions. Um, Close. It says this in Exodus 23, 29, verse 30. It's a verse that I think has really encouraged me over my life. It says, It says, but I will not drive them out in a single year. This is God talking about the people in the promised land that they're going to. He says, I won't drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. And I've been encouraged by this verse over and over again because it reminds me that change is a slow deliberate process. It doesn't happen rapidly. That often rapid change is more detrimental 
like this rapid, rapid trying, you know, to, to drive them out in a single year. Let's just drive them out in a single year. We're just gonna do this thing. It's gonna be really fast. And God's like saying, no, you don't have the capacity for that. It's little by little, growth by growth, step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year, deliberate action by deliberate action. You are going to drive them out. You're going to change. You're going to become the person that God is creating, has created you to be. Little by little, step by step, day by day, action by action, you're going to become that person. It takes a long period of time. I think, to me, what's really encouraged me about Ezra and Nehemiah, the part that I think really stirred me uh, a couple years ago, COVID happened, uh, and then the riots happened while I was going through Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, and you were looking at this, and you were looking at South Africa, and you're thinking, uh, you know, you're hearing political parties talk about the failed rainbow nation. Uh, you're then seeing society kind of like fractured and failed through riots. And you're looking at all of this going, you're looking at your own life, wondering where you are. I was wondering, where am I with my life? And you're asking all these questions and you're feeling discouraged because you're just like, why is nothing moving fast? Why are we just not where we hope we would be? Um, and Ezra and Nehemiah's encourage me because change takes a long period of time. It's a hundred year vision. If we wanna see Durban be the city that Durban could be, are we okay with it being that in a hundred years time? If we wanna see South Africa be the country that it could be, are we okay that we never see that in our own lifetime? of family and what it could be like that is not the reality that we've lived in or even living in now. Are we okay with sowing our lives and preparing our lives and fighting for our lives so that our kids can walk into that? Okay with the fact that change takes a long period of time. Yet, through deliberate action now, those results will come action now, the process of change gets underway so that those results are seen in a hundred years' time. And next week we'll talk about how one of those deliberate acts uh, that we see through the story is church planting, which is the role of the church and its role in that transformation. Can I pray? morning, everyone's bowed their heads and eyes are closed, but maybe you feel like you're really stuck in a process of change and you, you want prayer. Can I ask you to raise your hand just quickly? You feel like you're really stuck, like change in my life is anything of what I'd hope it to be. I, I want to pray for you uh, this morning and, and trust that God will only give you perspective, but will actually get the cogs and the wheels moving um, uh, to encourage you. So people raise their hands. I'm going to pray for you now. Lord, you saw every person that raised their hand. I thank you for them. I thank you for them just saying, it's me. 
this morning it's me, it's me, Lord, be at work in my life. And so, Lord, I pray for every single person who's raised their hand, maybe discouraged, maybe feels like things just aren't moving forward, maybe feels like they even further back than what they felt like they were a year, two, three years ago. Lord, I pray for them. I pray right now that you'd come upon them by your Holy Spirit. Encourage them with the perspective of time and stir them to, to see the movements that you are, are taking them on even now in, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, if anyone is stuck, if anyone who's raised their hands and they're stuck, 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 and maybe they need someone's voice to come into their lives to encourage them or to stir them or to rebuke them or whichever one it is, I ask you, Lord, that you would send people along their way that would help get that process of change going again, both in the encouragement and sometimes in the intervention. Um, so we ask you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are ultimately are the one who sees us. You see us in our discouragement. You see us in our encouragement. You see us when we are down. You see us when we are joyful. You see us when we are changing rapidly and you see us when we feel stagnant. And so, Lord, I pray you are the one who sees every person here. And I ask you that this morning, Lord, those who lift their hands, who are asking you to come, I ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would see them and help them move in their journey in Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, even for us, as we look at Durban, as we look at uh, South Africa, as we look at Harbor City even, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just encourage us uh, to not just see what is not happening, but to be encouraged that you, over a long period of time, will accomplish your purposes in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just as we close, uh, one last story that I think, as we're praying, I was reminded by this that encouraged me. When we think about Harbor City and change, uh, I'm, you know, I'm probably the one most discouraged at times because I'm like, yo, I really thought we would have changed uh, and grown, et cetera, et cetera. And um, all the guys who have done research of the church in the first 300 years before Constantine uh, did research uh, over the numbers worldwide, and they realized that the church, to get to what it was before Constantine legalized Christianity, et cetera, made it the national religion, only grew by 5% year on year. 5%. You know how little that is. It means if you're a church of 40, it means you grow two people this year. Like, it just doesn't feel encouraging. Um, but 5% year after year, year after year, created an unstoppable force. Which, uh, which Constantine could not himself deny. 5% even in our own lives, year after year, year after year, could create an unstoppable force. God bless you all. Have a really good Sunday.